Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus. Code SST 125. That's SST 125. They have re up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sports book for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS, you bet you win you get paid bet us and a good monday everybody this is scouts eye on college football i am chris landry and excited to talk college football with you for a full hour here and then I'm going to flip over and we'll talk SEC football and beyond. So two hours of college football and um, much to get to. A reminder that uh, you can join us live in the chat room, and we encourage you to do so with your questions, your thoughts on anything around the world of college football, uh, national college football, anything uh, that you want to get into. We'll absolutely uh, get into it right here. We're going to break down um, – a lot of what happened this week um, and what's ahead. Do you realize, folks, we are, after this weekend, we've got just three weekends of college football left. So let's, you know, any way you want to look at it, we've got four weekends of college football left. I mean by that the full four weeks of what we consider a normal week Saturday of college football. Then the following week is the conference championship week, which is not the full fledged uh, complement of games. Of course, you'll have that weekend. Um, you, you'll have the, the, uh, the, that final week conference championship week. We'll have um, the couple of games on Friday night, conference USA PAC 12. And then we'll have, um, let's see what big 12 uh, Mac, 
uh, Mountain West, Sunbelt, AAC, SEC, ACC, Big Ten. So basically just four weekends left of the four. And then, of course, the bowl action will come uh, will come about. So we've got uh, – look, believe it or not, it's just hard to believe as we flip the calendar. Happy November to everyone. I uh, hope you had – if you're into the Halloween-ing, which I am not, um, I hope you had a good time, whatever you did there. But much to get to today. We've got another coaching opening. For those of you that follow us on our conference shows, we talked about this in the Big 12 football and beyond and the situation going on at TCU and what could be coming. It has come. So we're going to get into that. Bring your questions and your thoughts on anything there. We're going to get into kind of how I see the rankings um, in college football. On film. And then I'm going to tell you how that's probably going to differ from what the initial rankings will come up. But tons to get to Michigan State with a win, Texas blowing a lead, and the Big Ten West, and uh, on and on. Georgia rolls on, and some issues with Florida and Dan Mullen, and just on and on and on. And we'll get into the TCU opening and give you an update on what's going on at LSU. Whatever. We've got a lot. Uh, and <clears throat> give you a reminder about our good friends at uh, at uh, Bet uh, MGM. So um want to remind you, too, you can get all the detailed film on breakdowns of all the games over at LandryFootball.com. It's what we do. It's what we have for all the latest news and notes. We've got it all for you. But all the film room breakdowns, college, NFL, we got it for you. To catch our conference shows, very simple. Get all our podcasts, go to LandryFootball.com uh, and get the uh, get the information over at LandryFootball.com um, where you can find all of our podcasts. Uh, make sure that uh, you get them and subscribe to them and what have you, but it's got all the information right there. So uh, I was trying to think about where to go with it um, and where to start. I'm going to start on kind of the rankings and where I think that people have a certain interest in certain rankings. Um, They've made it into a TV show to where folks are can't wait to watch it. The rankings are not as relevant as they make it out to be, but it is a starting point. Um, it is an indicator of where they'll see them at a certain point. What is bad about it is they're in their effort to be transparent, which is nothing wrong with that. There's certainly something that we look at and say about rankings. If a team is ranked fifth, well, then as long as they win, they can't go below five. That's the traditional AP ranking, what have you. It's the old way of doing it, and it's not an accurate way of doing it. Uh, It probably should shift. It should go back and forth. Well, well, why does it go back and forth? That's all they can do. Is like, if you're going to look at things, and it's quote unquote called the eye test, and who's doing the eye test, and how does it look, and are people just looking at 
the points and the point differential and things of that nature. That is, you know, not necessarily the way to do it. I recognize that how a lot of people do it, but, you know, it's because maybe they, they don't see and understand the process as well. So they have judgments based upon how it looked and maybe they didn't study it as much or don't have a better feel for how to study it. And so you have it. Now, I have a dilemma and I have some thoughts and I have some theories about rankings. And for those of you that are somewhat new to my platforms, I've always felt like we went around the wrong way with regard to determining the best teams in college football. Look, I people ask me all the time, who are the four best teams? Or who's in BC area two, BCS era two best? Well, I can tell you who I think looks best on film, but you still have to go out and do it. You can be the best team, but if you don't play the best and you don't earn it, it doesn't matter. And there is a lot to that. There's a whole lot to it. I mean, it's, you got to do it. It you, doesn't, it's not good enough to be thought of as the best. You have to go out and prove it. And one of the things that I've always felt like, and I'm going to spend just a brief time on it because we're not going to ever do this, but I always felt like because you don't know about schedules and you don't know how things are going to play out during the year, that I felt like we should take the season and play it out. And then once, and I recognize there are finals and everything, and these are students in December, I get all of that. But I believed that we get the season done, and then you have finals basically up to December 15th. And then, you know, basically we have the conference championship games. We go into the finals. You get that done. And then I believe we should take December and take over December in college football and make it to what March is for college basketball. And that is take the best teams that have had the best years, not tie-ins to bowl games or anything like that, but take the money and put it where it belongs and give it to who it belongs and put the best teams in the best bowl games. And then pick the two best teams or the four best teams after January 1st bowl games. And then I think because what you can see is you can get a truer test of, well, how is this team relative to this team? You know, I can sit here and tell you that, although I don't think Wake Forest is good enough to go unbeaten, if they do, I do think they should have a chance in some form of a bowl to kind of at least prove or disprove who they are. Same thing with Cincinnati, same thing with anybody. You can do it in a bowl game, and I think that could begin to separate. In essence, if you want to know who's better, A&M or Notre Dame at the end of last year, put them in a bowl game and let that determine out. And then you pick the teams after that. We're, we're past that and not doing that. So I've kind of gone to the conclusion that what I would – as much as I um, am of the belief that we do not need 12 teams or eight teams to determine a national champion. Heck, there are times we don't even need four. 
So we do not, I repeat, do not need that many to determine the national champion. However, I am more and more of the belief since kind of what I've thought in this process is never going to be something that's going to be adopted. What I believe is that we should go to 12. I do think giving people that have used the conference championship as at least an opportunity and a vehicle to get in the, the tournament, if you will, and then use um, the at-larges for the teams that ranking, uh, you know, to get yourself in a position. I think those things are really important, and I think it makes the end of the season a little bit more fun. I think we lose all momentum in December. And I think, you know, it's funny because I just mentioned there are three weeks left after this weekend, four weekends of college football, then conference championships, and that's it. And then we pick it back up again and, and we just have a talking season. And I just think that we could really stretch out um, and make December better. And I think we probably could do it through more of a playoffs where it would make the back end of the season really well. Now it would take away the, some of the importance of the regular season for some teams, but what it would do is it would make all the conference races. As long as you're still in your division race within your conference, for example, you would be in a position to still make the national playoffs because you got to win your division. Then if you win your conference, you get in. I think those things are, you know, still in play. If you're a you're a Cincinnati and you you, you feel you're good and you beat a Notre Dame team and you know, but you're not going to have a real chance to prove it against someone else. You 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 know that you're going to get ranked high enough to at least get in and have your chance. I think it would make that more exciting in the, at the back end of the season, and it wouldn't diminish for me the excitement of watching games on a week-in, week-out basis. I don't know how people look at it. So, I, for me, I don't know what the committee's going to do. I can speculate. Uh, I think people are going to want to know. We know Georgia's won. I think people are going to want to know, um, you, you know, probably, for example, Alabama's, I'm thinking, may get ranked two. I don't know that. I don't know what the committee's going to do. Predicting what other people are going to do is – virtually impossible for me because I don't know what they're going to, I don't know what they're thinking, nor do I care. Um, I think where Cincinnati's ranked is going to be intriguing for some folks. For me, I think they're a really good team. I'd like to see them get a chance to play somebody. But if you're asking me who the four best teams in the country are in film, they're Georgia one, it's Alabama two, as flawed as I think Alabama can be relative to what they are. Ohio State, oh, yeah, Chris, they weren't impressive against Penn State. I, I, I know exactly what they've done in every game. Um, Oklahoma's look sluggish, but I think they're better than Cincinnati. I think they're, they're, um, they're better uh, than Michigan State, and I think they're better than Oregon. But, you know, um, they're, they're maybe not doing it in every stretch and maybe some games are looking a little bit closer than people might think. I, I get that. Um, wait a minute. Oregon beat Ohio State. Look, I 
I, I'm not saying that Ohio State should get in over Oregon. I'm really not. I think that game should matter, and I think it's a real problem with the system if they don't get in. If you ask me who's better, well, right now on film, Ohio State's better. But if you're going to take the entire season and make it count, the reality is Oregon beat them in Columbus. So I get all of that. So when I tell you, because I'm trying to give you something that's different, predicting what the committee is going to do, who cares? Why would you want to hear me guess what somebody else is going to do when it's just a guess? Um, what what I do, I've already said what I would do. Okay, and it's not going to be implemented. So what I can do that's a little bit different is tell you who looks best on film right now, and right now meaning every week during the course of the year. That's how I see it. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon, Cincinnati, Michigan State. That's not, repeat, that is not how they're going to look tomorrow. Okay, um, that's just how they look on film as I study them. And that will change. That will change for me as the the, the games go along. Um, I said last week that I didn't think that as excited as I was for Michigan, Michigan State, that I didn't think either one of those teams were playoff teams. And I stand by it. I, after watching it, I thought Michigan outplayed them much of the game and squandered it. And they lost that game in the first half with missed opportunities. I give Michigan State all the credit in the world. I don't think Michigan State's going to beat Ohio State. But if they do, well, then certainly they will have earned it and should get in there. And and even if flawed as it may, uh, my opinion of them in the film room, you see, if they are able to win that type of game, they're going to look a little bit better inside the film room. So, look, I think it's uh, a lot of interest. I get it. Uh, but let's not get overly crazy about where this is um, the be-all to end-all. Speaking of Michigan State in Michigan, um, look, I thought this game was decided in the first half. Or in Michigan's case, I thought they controlled the game. I thought they played better than Michigan State. They could not get it done in the red zone. Missed opportunities. It's an offensive inefficiency. Um, they left, um, you know, basically 12 to 16 points on the board in the first half, on the field in the first half. You can't do that. You, you keep the drive. I even tweeted it out during the game as I'm breaking it down. Look, this is going to be something that they're – could regret because they're keeping the door open for Michigan State. And not only are you keeping it open, but you're missing opportunities in the red zone to finish. And look, I get it. If you, It's not about, well, they should go for it in fourth down. No, you got to kick the three. You're ineffective enough on offense. You got to take the three. You got to take the points. The point is, you've got to be able to get it in the end zone more. And that's what I've said all along about this Michigan team. Very good defensively. And I think the offensive line's playing better. They made some plays in the passing game, but they're not enough. Not enough, and they don't threaten you enough at the passing game. And that's where I thought 
Michigan State might be a little bit better in that regard. Well, Michigan had this game on their racket, so to speak, in the first half and could have basically put it away to where it would have been too far out of the range for Michigan State to come back, and they would have had to get out of their overall run game element. I, uh, Kenny Walker, pretty good. If I not told you about that guy all year long, what what a phenomenal player. Um, I give Mel Tucker and the Michigan State staff a lot of credit, a lot of senior leadership. This is one of the things, though, I warn folks as we – so I really like him as a coach. Uh, I think his future is very, very bright. Um, and it is about striking while it's hot. Um, you'd like to see him do this more consistently. Can he, you know, yes, I think he's proven to be a good recruiter over his career. But this is one of those cases where he's got a lot of super seniors, veteran leadership. How is this going to play out long term? I, I think that the negatives for Jim Harbaugh continue. He hasn't beaten teams with winning records. He ha- he can't beat Michigan State. He can't beat Ohio State. He's not going to beat Ohio State this year. It's the same narrative. And yet, I see improvement. Just, you know, not good enough to be able to get it done. Speaking of not good enough, um, Texas, again, gets off to a good start and people are perplexed with it it's nothing perplexing about it they have a good game plan they execute very well but defensively they're flawed they don't have enough depth they don't have enough quality on that side of the ball so what they do is they get a lead and i think they can cause some problems for folks but most teams most good teams are patient against that texas defense and you can wear down that defense. And almost every good team has done that. Um, and I thought Baylor did an outstanding job. Baylor's well coached, did a phenomenal job. Um, Dave Aranda's got this team playing well, and they're certainly in the mix there. But I would not um, – look, that Texas problem is about getting more elite players on the defensive side that are going to change it. To me, it looks different. It looks different. I know people will talk about, well, it's no different than Tom Herman. No, that's, that's people that really don't know what they're talking about, don't know what they're looking at. Um, it looks different. It's just not good enough. And I don't think it's schematic so much as they don't have enough to put the pressure on people's opposing offenses long enough through the course of a game and it's costing them and it's costing them leads. And it's been a narrative of, I mean, they've been the first half warrior, Iowa, Wisconsin, Iowa's a messed offensively. We've told you that their offensive line is not nearly as good as people think the center's great. Wisconsin is getting better. Uh, Cincinnati oh, did not, Look all that impressive against Tulane, but it wasn't as bad as people think either. Look, everybody has their moments. I can look at Ohio State and say, if I can look at Oklahoma's performance and say, yeah, they didn't play well against Tulane and whatever, um, they still found ways to win, and I think they're good. 
I can say the same thing about Cincinnati. What I will say is, as it was the case for NC State last week, it was equally the case this week for Pitt. These teams that are good and, well, you can throw Kentucky in the mix too. Why isn't, fill in the blank, getting enough respect, this is why. At Pitt and NC State, Kentucky, Kentucky, you're good. You're good teams. But good's not good enough for you. Well, why aren't they? Why aren't you talking about them for the playoffs? Because you're not good enough to get there. And you're not built well enough like the elite teams. Like we've talked about Ohio State or maybe in Alabama and the times, the elite teams that don't play their best but can still win with their B-minus game because they're so more talented. Can't do that at Pitt. Can't do that at NC State. Can't do that at Kentucky. You don't play your best, which is hard to do each and every week. That's what separates you. That's why you're good and you're not great. You're Kentucky, you're Pitt, you're NC State. You're good. You've had good years. You are well coached. You've done a good job. But you're also the byproduct of that and the level of competition. Inside the ACC, not very good this year. Inside the SEC East, who's good in the SEC East? Really? You want to have a discussion about who's good in the SEC East outside of Georgia? Of course, Kentucky's good. Not great. Florida, no. Uh, you, want, you want to have another discussion? Tennessee's better than people. That, yeah. Are they that good? No. Missouri? South Carolina? Vanderbilt? Enough said. So that point is, is when you combine you're good and you can get through things, then if you're Kentucky, the way you get the respect is go out and beat Mississippi State. Win the rest of your games. What did I say on the SEC show Friday? Thursday, and you you hope maybe listen to it in podcast form. You want to get respect, Kentucky, go out and beat Mississippi State. That's a team you could have beaten, should have beaten, but it was a style matchup. And which style was going to win and which one was it? It's where they are. Um, same thing with, with Pitt and Miami. For Florida, or the narrative, we knew this was going to likely get ugly. But what a weird first half of that game, huh? I mean, it was headed towards – Three nothing halftime score, and to be honest with you, that's a win for Kentucky to be trailing three nothing. Loop, it's ten nothing. It's seventeen nothing. It's twenty four nothing, and you talking about your head is spinning. The game over lickety split in the last two minutes, less than two minutes of the first half. Unbelievable. And from there on, it was just a bloodletting. Um, There's a lot of criticism, and we'll get into it next hour with Dan uh, at Florida and comments he's made and how he's dealt with it. He certainly did not do the whole, we're fine and you guys are crazy and we're better than you think comment after that game. He said we're not good enough and what have you. There's a ton of criticism on the recruiting side. And it's almost as if it was a dagger. Kirby Smart was asked about recruiting at the end of the 
game after the game in the post-game press conference, and he talked about the importance of, hey, it's all about it's all about players. You know, we certainly got to do what we can with them, but you win with players. And it's almost as he's the anti-Dan Mullen. And Dan Mullen get asked about recruiting in Monday and didn't want to talk about it. And now, first of all, there's a little bit of the overreaction, always is in the media, because he doesn't want to talk about it doesn't mean that his staff is not recruiting or recruiting hard or he doesn't think it's important. It just, he didn't want to talk about it. But when you throw in the fact that they have not recruited to the anywhere near the level of Georgia recruited well, but you know, the whole look, we recruit certain players because we're smarter than everybody and we get these guys and we're superior coaches and we're going to do that, that that narrative is taking a big time hit. And now it's starting to how the narrative changes and that narrative. And that, that is a beating of the drive that look, this guy's no better than Jim McElwain. And you know, it's going to get that way until Dan changed that narrative. And he's had a bad week in recruiting, losing their top two commitments. Um, Not, not a not a good week, not a good look. Look out in the Big Ten West. We talked about Iowa and probably out of it, Wisconsin's playing well. How about Minnesota? They are playing good football. They've played very well since it lost to Bowling Green. In the West, Nebraska, it looks as over for Scott Frost as it can. Save for a win the rest of your games, I don't see how he saves this job. I really don't see how he will save his job unless he runs the table, which means beating Ohio State, he can beat South East Louisiana, then beat Wisconsin and Iowa. Go 4-0, get something to, hey, look, we've got to make some substantive changes on the staff, buy him one more year. That's the only thing. Here's why, A, that's not going to happen. They're going to lose two or three of those final four games. And the the biggest problem and the biggest reason I think Scott's going to lose his job is that Scott doesn't have to seem to have any answers from what I understand behind the scenes. That he's not offering up a real solution to fix it. It's not like we'll give him one more year, give him a year without Adrian Martinez. All those things are valid ass, but What's your plan to fix it? The consistent problems on special teams. Can you upgrade things in recruiting? Can you develop a little bit more? I mean, the offensive development issues. Uh, Keeping guys bought in, all the guys leaving out. There are a lot of things that are going on that suggest that it's not going well. Don't see a way in which it's going to get better. And here's my solution to fix it. You're not seeing that. You're not hearing that. That's a problem. And that's where I think they're losing a lot of confidence. A reminder, and I see uh, two scoops joining us. Hello. Join us in the chat room if you're out there. We'll um, take your questions. There's already places, uh, another change taking place with TCU. And 
Gary Patterson. We mentioned to you last week on the Big 12 show that this was likely coming. Um, I can tell you in checking into it and verifying it that, that this was Gary's – Gary's basically said, I just – this is – he's not real comfortable with a lot of how he's been unable to get this team to respond. He's frustrated. I think he's kind of said, look, I, I need to step away. I think it's a mutual decision. I think that um, Gary felt like this team was going to be pretty good. I can tell you that from over the summer. He, he liked this team. He thought it was a good team, and it hasn't responded. Um, I think he also is a little bit frustrated with a lot of the you know, he's hard-nosed coach, and a lot of the guys responding in the NIL. I don't know that Gary – I think Gary wants to take a step back and, and maybe not do this. I don't – this is not one of those cases where they came in, off with your head, you're done, and, you know, well, I'll show you. I'm going to go and coach somewhere next year. I'd, I'd be surprised if that happened. The right opportunity, who knows. But I don't sense that that's what's going on. And – you know, this guy has a statue on campus. He's been there 20 years. I mean, he's one of the longest tenured coaches. You take away the Kurt Ferens, and, I mean, he's he's right there. It's, you know, I think it's um, the, the timing. Again, people are critical of the timing, and, and I can, and I have been, and I can be as well in that, like to see this stuff go to the end of the year. But again, the way this happened was a little bit different than the media is portraying it. Gary met with them, and I think, you know, in his mind, I'm not, I want to put words in people's mouths, but that this is not a, look, we're moving on from you, and we appreciate what you're doing, but we're moving on. This is more about um, mutually thinking, look, I I, I don't know that I can fix this, and I think this is what we need to do. I think this is coming a lot more from Gary than people think and people know. I don't think there's any doubt that Sonny Dykes is the guy for them. I do think that the timing could have to do with a preemptive strike to get him to, hey, hold on now. Don't go jumping to Texas Tech. Go back home. Stay right where you are. It's from where he is, where Sonny lives. It's about a 30-minute drive. I know it depends on traffic. But it's about a 25 to 35-minute drive to the TCU football office. What? It, how unusual. You can't do that. In any, I mean, it is, you can't do that in college football. I mean, only in high school could that even possibly happen. But you're, this is an unusual circumstance. I think, Sonny, and we'll get to them and how they lost that game against Houston in a bit. But, you know, first of all, Sonny was part of that staff. I think he'll get the endorsement from from Gary and the the 
the blessing to say, yeah, look, don't, don't, don't feel like you're stepping on my grave here. Sonny worked as an analyst for TCU. He's got a, um, a fondness for the program and Texas guy with Texas roots and Texas backgrounds and Texas recruiting base and an offense that maybe could be more Big 12-like are all fitting the pedigree and the profile of what TCU is looking for. I think that Jeff Triller is off the market with the Texas-San Antonio deal. I, I Look, his people knew that not only Texas Tech was opening, but that TCU would be. If he didn't want to sign that and agree to that, he would have held it off a little bit. Um, I don't think he's turning back now. I think he's staying. So I think it's Sonny Dykes. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't rule out Jeff Trailer 100%, but I, I think it's probably Sonny. You know, if, if for some reason that doesn't work out, then I think guys like uh, Jeff Levy at Ole Miss, I think um, Mike Elko at AM, I think Jeff Grimes at Baylor, I think uh, Joey McGuire at Baylor are all guys that would be in the mix. And I think there's some others. So um, that's kind of where I see things going at TCU. Look, it's, it's, uh, he liked the quarterback. He thought things could go well. The defense, has not played typical defense for Gary as it has in the past. Uh, it's just a just a really a bad look for him. Um, Ole Miss, we're going to get into this in the SEC show, but had the questions of how good is this Ole Miss defense? We can talk about it's this, it's that, it's good. It's, it is not as good as people think. Um Slowing down LSU, stopping LSU is not the definition of good. I thought Auburn worked them. The Auburn's defense was good. The offenses progressed nicely. They did a good job running the football at them. No question. No question about that. Uh, speaking of um, SMU, what an awful way to lose that game. They got outplayed by Houston majority of the game. Then they basically tied – well, they did tie it up, and then they gave the game away on a kickoff return for a touchdown. I mentioned this, that these explosive offensive teams are teams that that tend to not tackle well. They don't have the personnel that's as good. Um, I think this is something that I think we need to look at going forward is these offensive coaches that care more about how, how their offense looks that you should not hire a coach because quote unquote, he can make your offense exciting. You should hire the best coach. That's a leader. And that understands how to put a complimentary offense and defensive together. Look, complimentary can mean different things. It doesn't mean that you have to be equally as good on one side of the ball. That's tough to do anyway. But that seesaw has to be, if we're going to be really explosive on offense, um, you have to turn around and play the type of complementary style of defense. Rush the passer, 
create turnovers, get extra possessions. Those things are pivotal. If you're going to be a team that's going to, in my opinion, be explosive offensively, you also have to have a good two-minute offense. And you have to be able to run the football. And you have to help your defense some so that your defense can work to get off the field uh, and play that complementary style. And other teams don't do that. A couple more thoughts, and we'll get to your questions. I see two scoops, Danny in New York City. Hey, Danny, get to your question in a second. Some other thoughts. I mentioned Kentucky. Handling prosperity, you know, um, I'll get into this to the NFL show tomorrow, but even in the NFL you see this. Cincinnati Bengals. Um, All credit to the Jets and how they played and how they're prepared to play. Cincinnati Bengals gets a big win against the Ravens. They're now the favorites. Look out. They're team to beat. You know, they just beat the Ravens. You're team to beat. You're the leader in the AFC North. I'm not saying they laid an egg, but but it was clear that that it came across their play was we got this. We handled last week every team, even ones that are not as good as the one you beat the week before, bring some unique challenges that you must be prepared for and focus for. And when you don't do that, it jumps up and bites you in the keister. Now in college, you can get away with it without personnelling another team better than you can in the, in the pro game. Kentucky, look, you can't get behind in games. you got to tackle well on defense if you're going to give up some plays to, to, Kentucky, uh, to Mississippi State, which, by the way, let's give some credit to Mike Leach and Mississippi State. I've always been hard on them. You don't run the football enough. What did they do? They ran the football. I'm going to get into more detail next hour. Good. Kudos to them. That's what you've got to do. Your quarterback's playing well. You've got good receivers. This Mississippi State defense is not bad. Ran the football. Control the game. Mixed it up. You kept Kentucky's defense off balance. You got a lead. And this Kentucky team is not going to be explosive and come back on you. Styles make fights. Styles make matchups. I said, which matchup is going to win out? Got our answer. Kentucky, it wasn't that they, I don't know, they weren't ready. They didn't handle that moment. And so Kentucky and their staff is not complaining about it. But a lot of their fan base, fan base is, why don't we not rank tired? Why don't we get talked about it? Because you've got to beat a good team and you've got to go through your schedule 11-1. and one. No shame in getting beat by Georgia. Heck, there's no shame in getting blown out by Georgia if you're Kentucky. You want to be mentioned with the big boys, don't lose to Mississippi State. 10-2 is a great year. 93 is a great year for Kentucky. And they are going to achieve that. And they do deserve all that credit. But understand, that's where you are until you prove otherwise. Don't tell me that you're great and you should be great and you're not given enough respect. Win the damn games. Then you're 11-1. and one, And then... I'm not saying you would have been a threat for the playoffs, but then you got something to crow about. Penn State, nice job bouncing back. Isn't that, A, a good effort, ready to play against Ohio State? For all the talk about, you know, getting ready for Illinois and playing in the big house, they were sure ready to play Ohio State in the horseshoe. 
Doesn't that get you frustrated, though, if you're a Penn State fan? What the hell was that last week against Illinois? I repeat, what the hell was that against Illinois last week? That's the level of consistency. Folks, I'm not saying, and you hear me say this all the time, you're never the same. You either get better or you get worse. The frustrating part is you want to have a team and there are circumstances that could cause you to get worse that maybe are out of your control. Injuries at quarterbacks are key. But if you're Penn State, you shouldn't lose to Illinois. You should find a way to win those type of games. And, look, I, they probably should have beaten Iowa. They outplayed Iowa. But their, their lack of preparedness to have a backup quarterback ready to play cost them that game. That's coaching. That's preparation. That's got to be hair-raising for Iowa fans. So you you basically get a moral victory for playing well against Ohio State. You're not good enough to win the big games, okay? And that's that's frustrating enough, but there's a lack of consistency. Look, I, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean this as a backhanded compliment, but Michigan under Jim Harbaugh has been pretty consistent. Frustratingly so. They lose certain games, but you pretty much know that they're going to win certain games and lose certain games. I will tell you that I'm more comfortable with watching Michigan because I know what they're capable of doing and I know what they're not capable of doing. And that's more easily fixable than with Penn State. Penn State's a roller coaster. Roller coaster, roller coaster, roller. You don't know what you're going to get. <clears throat> That's a frustrating game. Utah's the team to beat in the Pac-12 South, folks. Um, they got a game lead, but really two games in hand with the head-to-head now over UCLA and Arizona State, two games ahead of them. They, with their schedule, they look in really good shape, and that's a team that's pretty consistent. Now, Oregon State beat them a couple of weeks ago. I get that. They're not dominant. They're not great. They're a they're a team that they're a Kentucky type, tough, physical, but they're very well coached. They're going to win the South and play Oregon. I don't think they're going to beat them, but that's what I see. Um, I'm going to hand out some game balls and uh, talk to our good friends in the chat room. Um, looking at the game balls for the weekend. Um, I got to go with Kenneth Walker, my first game ball, Michigan State. Gosh, how? Still trying to figure out, talking to my friends on the Wake Forest staff, how the hell did you let that guy get out? What a what a really good back. He, what a re- good player all year long. He's just been outstanding. Um, I thought the defensive end from Kansas State, Aduzi Ozama, played very, very well this week. Uh, was outstanding uh, in the the 31-12 win over TCU that ended up being the final straw for Gary Patterson. I thought Jalen Graham was very good for Purdue at linebacker against Nebraska. I will give my game ball, though, team of the week. Um, I thought about Auburn, and I think they're the team of the week in the SEC, and I think they are a strong candidate nationally, but I'm going to give it to Michigan State. Uh, Now, here's the question. If Michigan... And I know Danny has a question about Michigan. We'll get to it in a second. If Michigan is this team that, and they, they are under Jim, they lose these type of games. Do we want to 
I want to give Michigan State and Mel Tucker all the credit that they are due, but does this, you know, are we, and I almost say this rhetorically because the answer is yes, are we just going a little bit too nuts over Michigan State? Look, I think it's a challenge on the road at Purdue this week, but I think they should win that. They should definitely beat Maryland. And, look, Penn State is Penn State. I think that Michigan State at the end of the year, uh, I, I like Michigan State's consistency, um, and I think they're they're better prepared week in and week out. So I like their chances against Penn State. But if Penn State plays the best game, they got a good chance to beat Michigan State. I, I think Ohio State will beat them. So it, what do we feel about Michigan State if they lose two? I mean, two in a row. Is it more like what we just talked about with the the Pitts and the NC States and the Kentuckys? Or are they a little bit better than that? Well, time will tell. Time will tell on that. I thought um, – what an exciting game, but what a frustrating game to watch defensively, BYU and Utah. Aaron Roderick, the um, offense coordinator, getting 734 yards, 8.8 yards per play. I know it was against Virginia defense that can't stop anything, but that's pretty impressive. Um, I thought Jim Leonard had a great game plan against Iowa. Iowa, 24 rushing yards on 30 attempts. You want to know why Iowa's bad? They have no explosiveness, no playmakers in the passing game. They can't run the football. They don't have the typical offensive line play. Look, I think the only issue is how the hell do they get up ranked so high? Um, game balls. I go with um, Caleb Williams again. I thought Bowling Green's running back, Terrion Stewart, had a great game. How about Devin Tompkins, the uh, receiver from Utah State, Trey Turner, Virginia Tech receiver, Peyton Hendershot, a bright spot for Indiana, um, getting a win. Offensive line, uh, Ossolini from Utah, uh, Shamaris Gilmore, Georgia State, Nathan Eldridge, the center at Oregon State, um, Logan Bruss at Wisconsin at right tackle, and Connor Wood at Missouri. Defensively, Jalen Carter was a beast for Georgia, as was Nicobe Dean, by the way. Um, Dion Novell of, of North Texas, D'Angelo Malone of Western Kentucky, David Ajabu of Michigan played very, very well for the Wolverines. Jalen Graham of Purdue was outstanding. Uh, I mentioned Nicobe Dean in the secondary, Tariq Stevenson, Miami playing hard uh, for Manny Diaz. Charles Brantley, the corner for Michigan State. Uh, Gia Brown of Penn State, Daniel Isom of Washington State. Caleb Williams kind of wins the Freshman of the Year award. I thought Notre Dame's offensive line, boy, that is a great job by them getting that Notre Dame offensive line. People who don't give that Notre Dame coaching staff, particular Brian Kelly, credit just don't know football. That team's gotten better and better. And, and just in terms of how they're improving technique, Assignment-wise, that's not the same offensive line, and they're getting a lot out of them. Really, really impressive. Uh, Ajabu, I mentioned, was great for Michigan. Um, I thought, um, you know, um, that Michigan outplayed Michigan State for the majority of the game. So uh, we'll get into that. This week's top games, uh, it's it's a soft week in terms of big games, folks. Um, and, you know, like Oregon-Washington is one that I – kind of will write down and we'll put in but it's really not Oregon Washington for people who don't know 
that is, um, hear me out now, the most physical, nastiest rivalry in the Pac-12, Oregon-Washington. It is a lot like Georgia-Auburn in that close proximity in different states. They recruit a lot against one another, and there's just pure adulterated hate. I don't, with this Washington offense playing like it is, it's not a a great game, but it is one of at least intrigued because Oregon is certainly a contender. I am curious to see how Michigan State responds over a big week. I think they're mature enough to go on the road for Purdue to win, but I want to see it. I want to see Kentucky respond to the fast pace of Tennessee's offense. Well, Tennessee get an early lead and make it tough on Kentucky again, or Kentucky, you know, stomp them out pretty quick. Going to be interesting. Mississippi State, Arkansas. Uh, another contrast in style that's going to be fun. But the game of the week probably to me is Auburn A&M, and I'm going to get into more next hour for SEC football and beyond in that. I think this is for the second best team inside the, the West. So uh, that's kind of how I uh, see it. A, a reminder um, to check out uh, if you feel like you're the last one out when it comes to sports betting, no, don't know where to start. Understand where the market is moving, which smart bets are out there, and have some fun listening while you're at it. BetQL Daily, sponsored by FanDuel, is a must-listen show for sports bettors and sports fans alike. They're a great listen. They're fun, informative, very helpful. Um, if you're not sure where to start with sports betting, start with Bet a- BetAQ Daily, presented by FanDuel. Listen weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app. Let's get to some of your thoughts. Uh, two scoops at Danny in New York. What your take on Michigan using the two quarterbacks? Well, I'm look, the, the bottom line is they're trying to get Danny more out of that passing game, more consistency. And I think neither one have been, have taken the bull by the horns. And I think using, I think integrating both of them in, would be wise. I think we'd probably need to see that. Um, Understand that the DNA of Jim Harbaugh is to make sure that we play to the strength of the defense and the run game. And they probably are going to be limited by the the fact that they're going to not be as aggressive and take a lot of chances so the guy that makes the best decisions and protects the ball the best is the ones that they're they're going to probably lean on more. I would certainly be working that angle. Um, but, you know, again, I, I go back to where I thought the real key was, you know, that they weren't able to finish inside the red zone. And it cost them the game. I thought that clearly cost them the game. I thought they should have beaten Michigan State. Um, and watching the prior to the game, I had questions of who was better during the game. There wasn't much doubt that Michigan was the better team, but they couldn't get enough points in the red zone. And Michigan state had the mental toughness and didn't make the mistakes that Michigan made. And that was the difference in the game. I appreciate you, Danny. Man, good to hear from you. Uh, one of our, uh, one of the, the finest and brightest uh, in in New York City. Be safe, my friend, out there. Think about you and pray for your often. Uh, please join us again 
soon. A reminder again uh, to join us. Give me a few minutes, uh, five, ten minutes, and we'll come back with SEC football and beyond. We're going to break down in detail each and every game uh, inside the SEC. Sign up for all our podcasts. Go to LandryFootball.com where you can get them. Um, We'll have uh, tomorrow, we'll have Big Ten and Big 12 starting at noon central. Uh, Excuse me, Big Ten and ACC. And then at 4 p.m. we'll have um, Scouts Eye on Pro Football. Check out all the detailed film room breakdowns, including the Monday night game. Uh, We've got all the SEC games broken down. Recap for you inside the film room. Working on the rest of them. We'll have them done by tomorrow. So appreciate you joining us. Talk to you in a little bit on SEC football and beyond. Have a great one, everybody. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.